This episode is sponsored by Mint Home Loans. With mortgage interest rates nearing all-time lows, now is the time to see what options you may qualify for. Make Mint Home Loans your trusted partner for all your mortgage needs. In today's times, your money matters. Shop local with Mint at 410-458-6847 for any home loan questions you may have. Welcome to this edition of Life's Tough. You can be tougher. I'm Dustin Plantel, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, has a story. The point is to use your story to help inspire others, to help them get through their tipping point moment, an instance in which that person either chooses to continue to be a victim or that person finds the strength to rise above. Our guest today is Joe DeSena. Joe is the founder and CEO of Spartan. He's a serial entrepreneur, a New York Times best-selling author, and highly sought-after keynote speaker. Spartan is one of the fastest-growing sports movements and world's leading endurance brands, with more than 1 million annual global participants at more than 270 events spanning across 45 countries. Due to this global pandemic, we had to record the show remotely. If you'd like to see the show the video aspect of it, please log on to YouTube and type in Life's Tough Media or go on Twitter and type in Life's Tough Medi, M-E-D-I, the number one. Uh, Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. I love the shirt. Life's tough. Life's tough. Joe, you're definitely tougher than I am. How did you get so tough? I don't know how tough I am. I, um, you know, I was thinking about it this morning. My kids, let me show you something. Are people only listening or are they no, see? They're watching you as well. That's a cool uh, spot you got. So we're in the barn right now on our farm in Vermont. I'm going to show you. I don't know if you could see it or not. Can you see that mountain? Uh, pull up the camera a little bit uh, the other way. So there we go. Come up a little. Yeah, that's pretty. All right. So that, wow. mountain, that mountain, my kids are up there right now. They are mixing cement and they are uh, building a stone cabin. Wow. Uh, with an Olympic wrestler. And, and this morning, one of the trucks was uh, bringing cement to a location where we can carry the bags of cement up. And it occurred to me that the reason I am the way I am is because in the neighborhood I grew up in, there were big trucks. There were people that woke up early in the morning and got shit done. There were burly guys with big forearms and, and um, a lot of wise guys, a lot of organized crime. And I think you're a product of your environment. You know, if I had grown up at Disneyland and my job was to put the makeup on Cinderella every morning, I'd probably be a different person. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you meet a lot of tough people in your line of work. I mean, you're, you're in the fitness motivation side. You meet some really tough people. And, and what do you think makes them so tough? Like, why do people seem to have this ability or, or certain people? They're, like, they're kind of like Olympians, right? They always have a little extra fuel in their tank to keep going. How is that? I think the number one thing that motivates human beings from the beginning of time is the avoidance of discomfort. <clears throat> what I mean by that is um, we avoided falling off a cliff. We avoided uh, getting eaten by a lion. We avoid running out of food. We avoid discomfort at all costs. That's our number one motivator. We don't even know that that's our number one motivator, right? You and I, same, same issue. In the morning, we have the best intentions. We want to work out. 
and our legacy hardware and software tells us, go make a cup of coffee, uh, go read the newspaper, go answer some emails, and your brain is getting you to avoid the discomfort of the workout because right. that's how we're, that's how we're hard, hardwired. So somewhere along the line, I figured out that the discomfort was greater if I didn't do the hard thing, right? Somewhere I completely flipped it 180 degrees. If I don't get the workout done, if I don't take the cold shower, if I don't take the more difficult route, if I don't do the hard thing, the consequence is even more uncomfortable for me. And I think, I think that's what people have to do. They have to flip it. So when you meet people that are just rugged, they've, they've all done that. They, they've, they've made it so that hitting the snooze button is so embarrassing and so painful that they just can't do it. And, and so tell me about your career. I mean, you started off with this race and this race has become the race of all races. I mean, you bring in celebrities, you, you bring in CEOs, you bring in people like me. Um, and to do this, like, how did you start? What was the beginning, Joe? Well, I mean, it goes back. I mean, in 1972, my mother found a health food store in Queens, New York. She walked in. There happened to be a yogi from India that landed at John F. Kennedy Airport, was also in that health food store. She met him, a very you know, much older gentleman, um, a Swami, Swami Bua, and, and um, he started to impart some of this wisdom of being vegan, meditating, yoga. This was all new stuff. There was no yoga journal back then, no Whole Foods. There was probably one health food store in all of New York, hmm. and it smelled like incense. Anyway, she brought these ideas home. I thought she was a whack job. My father, everybody thought she was nuts, and uh, no one accepted it. Uh, right away. One of the things they believed in was pushing the mind and body beyond limits. And there was a race that these gurus were involved in called the Transcendence Run in Queens. It still exists today. It's a 3,100 mile race around a one mile loop. 3,100 mile race. Around 3,100 times. Wow. And um, about eight people a year sign up for this thing and they just run around for 50 or 60 days until they collapse. And I saw that as a young kid and I thought, my God, like we are capable of so much more than we think. We, I, I could never do that. Of course. And, and, that, and that's where it all started. You know, these ideas of, of health food, these ideas of cold shower. My mother was into cold showers before Wim Hof was into any of this stuff. Before. And how was she such a visionary? I mean, for her to have known or, or seen the things that we go, well, of course you do these things that she knew. How did she know? I think um, it was such a toxic environment where I grew up with the organized crime and, and the unhealthy eating and people dying, um, going to jail, uh, that she was just looking for any alternative. And this was so 180 degrees opposite of what was toxic that she just embraced it. Uh, she wasn't a scientist. She wasn't a doctor, but she bought into it hook, line and sinker. I mean, you got to understand this stuff sounded crazy. She would make me wheat germ sandwiches. <laughs> oh, God, you, let me ask her: were, were you shamed by your friends? Like, would they would they laugh at you or make fun of you? I mean, I was so embarrassed. I didn't want to bring people over the house because there were monks in the living room chanting. There were pictures on the wall with beads and incense burning, and I didn't want any part of it. And and um, but through osmosis, through modeling, through all those years, I absorbed it all. 
even though I didn't want to absorb it. And, and um, when it became more popular after she died, um, I embraced it wholeheartedly. And did she, was she able to see what you did with this race? No, she didn't see any of it. She didn't see any of it. So she had um, a very difficult son as her memory. Very yeah. difficult son. And what do you, what transformed you? Like, what did it take to humble you or what was your aha moment? My aha moment was I, I, I finally arrived. I had finally made it to wall street and I was with the big boys and the big girls and, and, um, had a trading desk. I had my own firm and I was doing three dinners a night, thought I was the big man on campus. And, and I just didn't feel good. We were making a lot of money, but I was unhealthy. I, I, I didn't, I wasn't getting out of it what I thought I would. It was nice making money. It was nice being in that category of, of um, wealth, but um, just didn't feel good. And so my cousin, who was my mom's sister's son, my mom and her sister bought into this whole thing, hook, line, and sinker. My cousin called me and said, you got to do some of that hot yoga. Ah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. He goes, trust me. He goes, you, you like hard stuff. It is hard. Yoga is hard. We watched our mothers do it in the living room every day. It's not hard. Yeah. Trust me. Go do the hot yoga. And yes, I, it I, is I, not easy. I found um, a hot yoga class the next day. I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, malleable. I, I move, you know, even though I was resistant to my mom's things. And I went and did it the next day. It had to be 115 degrees in this room. It was so fucking hot. And uh, I, I, all I wanted to do was get out of that room. And that was it. I was, I was hooked. I said, I, I like, I liked, I just like hard stuff. You liked it. So yeah. how did you turn it into a business? I mean, how did you take this? I got an idea or an idea that's coming together and find a way to make it into something that you could do what you enjoy and you can make money. I, um, I was making money on wall street. And so I started to pick it up as a hobby. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I can't help myself. And so I said, you know what? I started meeting all these people that climbed Mount Everest, rode rowboats across the ocean. And I said, um, I want to bring these people together. There's probably 50,000 of them around the world, crazy people that just against all odds, get it done. And I probably can't make any money with them, but they inspire the world. And if they're wearing a certain kind of t-shirt or they're wearing a certain pair of sneakers, other people will be motivated by them. Plus I want to be around all these cool people selfishly. So, I tried to build uh, in very, you know, like 2000, year 2000, like a social network for these nutcases. And um, I couldn't get it to work. I, ca I called the project Peak, P-E-A-K, right? Reaching your peak potential. And I bought the URL peak.com for a million dollars in 2000, which was idiotic. That, that's a lot of money. It was a lot of money. It was idiotic. Right before the bubble burst. And... Um, I just messed around with it and I tried to make it work because I'm a glutton for punishment. And so for a year, two years, then I started putting on races, kept losing money, kept losing money, kept losing money. And then in 2010, after the financial crisis, I said, all right, I'll take one more stab at this. I'm going to change the name to Spartan. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, have a three mile distance an eight mile distance and a 13 mile distance. And, um, it can't be like a renaissance fair. It's got to be a legitimate sport, but it'll be military-inspired obstacle racing. We'll, we'll, we'll make an Olympic bid someday. And we launched, and 700 people showed up, which was more people, more people than I had seen. 700 people came yeah. to see your vision. Yeah. What did and that feel like? 
I mean, because there were people probably thought you were crazy before this, like all the time, energy, money that said, just quit, give up. It's not working. I was 10 years in at that point. I should have definitely quit. And, and there was a guy there with me at that first event with those 700 people. And he worked for Discovery Channel. And his job was to determine whether or not a show should go on the air, whether there was an appetite from the consum you know, global mm -hmm. uh, consumers for a show. And he stood around for four or five hours and he came over to me and he whispered to me and he said, you see what's going on here? And I said, no, what's going on here? People are transforming throughout those three miles. When they get to the finish line, they are new people. And, and so he was going much deeper than I was going. I was trying to make sure the timing was working and nobody was getting hurt and the ambulance was there. And he, he was really looking into the psyche of, you know, the, from 50,000 feet, what was happening here. And that really, um, that gave me conviction to go further and put on a second race and a third race. And fuck, I spent so much money from, from, from 2010 to probably 2015. I lost, I lost more money. I spent a fortune completely irresponsible. I mean, are we talking a thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, a million? I mean, I was pushing $10 million on this thing. It $10 was, million it, dollars for, for your dream. For a dream and uh, completely irresponsible. At that point, we have children. And um, and then we got lucky. Hearst, you know, Hearst, uh, the, mm -hmm. the media company, they came in, they invested with us. And um, some smart people started showing up. And so just like my mom was considered a crazy person, and then eventually she got to redeem herself, I think a lot of, a lot of smart people finally came around and said, oh my God, this thing's unbelievable. It's it's a great it's a great business. It's a great idea. Now, are you a better operations person? Are you a better CEO, a better ambassador? Like, what are your strengths in running the business? I think I don't have a lot of strengths, but I think I'm really good at prioritizing on a day by day basis. What's important? What isn't today? I'm relentless. I mean, relentless. I'm gonna 24 seven until the thing's done and tied off. We got to finish the project. I'm a, I'm a salesman. I'm a marketer. Um, I don't really want to deal with uh, finances or human resources or legal or I, I just want to I want to be selling. I want people coming in the door. I want them transformed and uh, and having a great experience. That's just that's what I. That's and how's it been for you from a standpoint of people around the world now looking up to you as a leader, as a role model? Does it ever hit you going all this responsibility? I mean, that trust they placed in you. Does it ever add up or are you strong enough to say, eh, it doesn't really affect me? Every day when I want to quit, every single day, because we all have weak moments, even tough people have weak moments. Um, I remember those emails that I get and those emails that say, oh, my God, you changed my life. I lost my uh, husband. I lost my wife. I'm, but you, you, you built me back up. Uh, I lost weight. I'm no longer drinking. I'm no longer drugging. And, um, and they keep me going. They keep me going. There are days where I'm like, you know what? I'm on the farm. I got the kids. What the hell am I doing? I'm killing myself. But, but, but then they keep me going. Well, it's interesting. We, we had, uh, so Diamond Dallas Page is a friend of mine. He's a big fan of yours and of your organization. And same thing. Here's a guy that just, he gives all he has. That I find that in life that he, all it takes is all you got. And you are giving it all you have. So what do you say to the entrepreneurs out there? Those are those crazy ideas. Um, when do they know to give up and how do you know when to keep going? Like what, what should be the, the judge? It's, a, it's the greatest question, um, to mankind is when, when do you quit? Right? Because 
your mind will play tricks with you. Just earlier, I was on the phone with a neurosurgeon and he said, there's actually a gap. When you don't finish something, there is a gap in your brain. It doesn't close off the circuitry. So it's important for you to finish what you started, especially hard things. However, however, it took me 40 years to figure this out, okay? There are times when you're supposed to quit. And no one says it better than Ed Visters, who is a famous American mountain climber. He says, um, getting to the top is optional. Getting down is mandatory, right? So, so when do you turn around when you're hiking that mountain? If Thomas Edison had quit on his 500 light, you know, 500 light bulbs in, we wouldn't have light today, wouldn't right? Have it, would we? Yeah, if Elon Musk was to quit. So, so Joe, when are we supposed to quit? I think that decision is driven by your true north, your purpose in life. If you want to be the greatest family man that ever lived, the best husband, the best dad, and you are 200 feet from summoning Everest, but it's a little late and a storm's rolling in, you turn down. However, if you're single and you're 200 feet from summoning Everest and you're about to set the world record and you're gonna break this world record, right? And this is your dream and your goal, you go for it. You go for it because that's your thing, right? Alex Honnold, Free Solo, you've seen the movie. Fantastic right? movie, scary as hell. I, I gotta tell you, Joe, I wouldn't do that. No, but but for him, right? The greatest climber ever. He's going for it. That's his true north. That's his purpose. So, so that decision to quit or, or, or not is got to be driven by your true north. Now, now very important to note us sitting here and talking about it. It's easy to have this conversation when the rubber meets the road during that decision-making process is when, when your back's against the wall and you're hanging on by a fingernail and the wind is rolling in, and you're trying to figure out, should I stay or should I go? Your brain, because let's go back to what I said earlier, the number one thing that motivates us is the avoidance of discomfort. Your brain is giving you all the signals, logical reasons why you should quit. And you've gotta be able to have your shit together and actually be able to sit there and say, hang on a second, do I wanna be the greatest family man? Am I looking to be the greatest mountain climber? You know, where on the spectrum am I when I yep. make this decision? And if you wear those set of glasses, uh, you'll come up with the right decision more often than not. That, that's great counsel. And so talking about from a personal side, you just spoke about being a dad. What sort of transformations has your family seen in you? I mean, success will change the dynamic of the household. The more consumed you become, the, the less they get of you. How has that been? And, and what advice would you give a younger you? I'm starting to wonder if my wife and family released the virus because I've been I've been home. It wasn't China. It wasn't the Wuhan. It, it, <laughs> it was wifey, huh? It was wifey. And um, she said, this is the longest I've been home in, in all of our marriage. Uh, I've never been home for 61 days in a row. So um, they're seeing more of me than they'd like to see, uh, probably. Um, I'm waking them all up early. We're all going to bed early. We're all eating healthy. I'm, I'm a miserable person to live with. I mean, I hold you accountable to all these. You're tough. Yeah, that we, that we, uh, that we preach. And so for your kids, what do you want for them? I mean, the world that they're inheriting now with this pandemic, you know, I, I've got two young kids, the new norm, what they're inheriting, all the chaos that we are adding to their lives, all the dysfunction that we're adding in from your own perspective, like what sort of advice would you give to parents out there? The number one thing, uh, the number one attribute you have to give your children is resilience. 
your kid has to be able to bounce back because mom and dad are not going to be around forever. And one thing I can guarantee, we, you and I could both guarantee is they're going to get kicked in the face. Everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And if the kids can't bounce back, what, what you tell me, <laughs> what's absolutely. Happen? And you just said a word resilience. Cause I am of, of the belief that your ancestors were quite resilient. The only way you got here was because of their resilience. And then why is it that some people believe that they are not tough enough? I can't get through this. I won't make it. I, I can't I go, but you've got that code in you. That's just learned helplessness. When you let, let's use the analogy of a plant. We have two plants, one that we grow in a greenhouse, one that we grow on the side of a mountain in a rainstorm. What plant is going to be stronger and tougher? Let's look at two animals, one that grows up in a zoo, one that grows up in the wild. Which animal is going to be tougher? So if, if a kid is not resilient, if our country is not resilient, it's our parents' fault. It's our fault if we're parents. We cannot bubble wrap our children. Our kids have to fall off the swing set. They have to face tough times. They have to do things that are dangerous. If they don't practice adversity, we practice piano, we practice math, we practice puzzles. How do we not practice adversity? Adversity is guaranteed in our life. Why don't we practice it? Can't protect kids from, from the inevitable. And when we talk about social distancing, you know, you're a business owner. I mean, what an impact this must have or, or is going to have going forward into your own business model. How do you deal with that? I mean, having to, to kind of be quick to move based upon the changes around you. I mean, what are you seeing and what sort of advice can you give to business owners that are angry? They're frustrated that well, for no fault of their own, they're not allowed to. I don't care what business you're in. You can't be in a worse business than me during a uh, a social distancing pandemic. I mean, I am in the social undistancing business. I bring 10, 15, 20,000 people together 325 times a year around the world. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm the first one to be shut down. I'm going to be the last one to get open. Um, I, I'm, I'm in a tough situation. And my answer is, uh, so what? So what? You'll get bombs, through this. Bombs aren't dropping. I, I uh, Bullets aren't flying. I'm not getting, I mean, can you imagine rolling up on Normandy Beach and ask, being asked to storm? Well said. You, you think somebody asked me the other day, Dustin, how you doing? I went, been better, been worse. I mean, it, it's all about perspective. That this, imagine that where you are in your career and what you've done. I go, you've been through more challenge. Ten years, ten million dollars. To me, that's a pretty big challenge because you didn't get the success. You didn't get the taste and the feel of of twenty thousand people showing up three hundred twenty five times a year that now what you have, that you can be that motivator, that leader, and that role model to others out there. Here, here, here's, here's something for everybody to chew on. If, if we did this podcast a year ago, and I said, listen, I spoke to a bunch of leaders around the world. We're thinking we're going to shut the countries down for, I don't know, 60, 90 days, give everybody a chance to live at home. Uh, some people will lose their jobs, but there'll be some you know, nice unemployment benefits. We're going we're gonna, to uh, just reconnect with ourselves, maybe put down our devices a little bit, uh, just take a breath. We would have high-fived each other. What? This is fantastic. I can't believe the community came together, giving everybody a break to stay at home and travel a little less. We would have loved it. So what's the problem? All about perspective. Yep. So final advice you have out there for those that are looking to learn more uh, and that want to participate and when that race happens in their community, in their neighborhood. I mean, somebody that may not be in the best of shape. Uh, some of them might say, my knees, my back. Like, does this have to be the young 20-year-olds? 
My knees, my back. We all, are you guys kidding me? Listen up. If God forbid we were in a plane crash or we were in a car crash and we had to go three miles to safety, are you telling me you couldn't do it? Of course you'd do it. You sign up. We call it the Spartan paradox. You sign up. You put a date on the calendar. You tell all your friends you're doing it in your family. And what that does is it forces you to go train. It forces you to eat healthy. forces you to go to bed early. forces you to put down the cookies. If you don't sign up for something hard, you don't do the work. That's the deal. People have it backwards. Oh, Joe, I'm not going to sign up because first I got to go to the gym. First, I got to start eating healthy. First, I got to go. There seems to be there's a lot of rules. There, there's a lot of conditions. And if I do all these things, then I'll. How do you remove conditions? You, 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 I call it fire, ready, aim. Everybody wants to aim, get ready, and then fire. That's from 100 years ago when we had muskets. No, you fire first, put the date on the calendar, then you get ready, and then you aim. That's the way you do it. If, if you don't have a gun to your head, if you don't have your back against the wall, you're not going to do the work. Well said. And final question for you, because we ask all of our guests, in your life, who's been the toughest person you've ever known? Not necessarily physically, but just personally for you. My father was tough. I tough. mean, my father, he was tough. Tough guy. And was it tough? He wouldn't let you quit? Or what, what was the, what was it about him? I'll give you, I'll give you one sentence to, to put it in perspective. One, he wouldn't let me quit. Like, you have no idea. You have no idea the workload. Uh, wax the car when people used to wax cars. Yeah. Wax the car. Yeah, it's not good enough. Wax it again. I'm going to wax it again. Wax it again. <laughs> <laughs> How do you have to wax it three times, Dad? I don't understand. It's like eight hours I've been waxing the car in the sun. That was a typical day. Um, the, neighbor, the, the neighbors were shooting BB guns at his fence in the backyard, and it would cause our dog to bark. So my dad goes out with a real gun and shoots back real bullets. So we're not playing with a full deck here. This was my no. That, that sounds like it sounds like my dad. Robbie would say, "You really want to bring out a BB gun?" Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's great. Well, Joe, thank you for sharing your story with us and uh, you know co coming on to the show and inspiring people from around the world. Life's tough. Joe is tougher. Thanks again, Joe. Thanks. You're awesome. See ya. See you, brother. Bye. What a great guest. We recorded that live, and it is available on all of our social media channels. Now, as we recap the show, what it takes, well, what it takes is all you got. That's my takeaway from the message with Joe, is that no matter what happens to you in life, no matter how many times your dad says, wax on, wax off, that no matter how many times you want to quit because things are too hard, too difficult, you keep failing or the expectations on you are just too high. Well, that all it takes is all you got. That if you give it all you have, that you will grow. And it is through that adversity that we become men and we become women. And we become who the next generation and the generations that follow will need to have in their lives. Because this world does not need more followers. This world needs more leaders. Now, as we do with each and every show, I ask you, no, I challenge you. What was your takeaway? Here was somebody that had gotten into $10 million in debt. He had an idea, an idea that wasn't working, but it seemed to give him what he was looking for, his life's purpose. That many times to reach that spot where you get your purpose, you find your purpose, that it will take you going all in and giving it all you have, even when others think it's impossible, that impossible things do happen. Many of you know my own story, impossible things. This show 
we've had some of the biggest names in the world, some of the biggest guests. That doesn't come easy. You know, I wasn't born, as some might say, into privilege, but I did have privilege. I was born in the United States, that in my opinion is one of the most amazing countries in the world, a land of opportunity. And many of the countries that you're listening to right now, you might say, no, my country is like, well, that's fantastic because it means what you can do. You were given, most of us, a voice, eyes, ears to hear. And along your journey, there were people there that will help you find your purpose. How I met this guest, Joe, I met him through a friend of mine by the name of Jeremiah. Jeremiah nominated Joe for the show. Well, how I met Jeremiah. Isn't it interesting when you, the people in your life, when you look at who introduced you to that person? Michael Loeb. Well, Michael Loeb uh, was an, also an earlier guest on our show. Uh, Michael, how did I meet him? Well, geez, I, I met him through his CFO. Oh, I met him through his CFO, Andy. Well, how did I meet Andy? Well, Andy's close friends with, with another good friend of mine. Well, how did I meet, how did I meet John? Well, John was good friends with Karen. Well, how did I meet Karen? Well, Karen called me through Lee. Well, how did I meet Lee? Well, I met him because I took a job working at an insurance agency. That all of those people got me to this spot with this person. Isn't it amazing when you look back on your own life that even the people you think did you harm, they did you good. That even the people you thought did you good, well, they did bring you some harm, but it brings you new contacts, which brings more responsibility. The day I asked my friend Andy for an introduction to his boss, he placed a lot of trust in me. And the day Michael introduced me to his team, he placed a lot of trust in me. And the day that person, Jeremiah, introduced me to his friend Joe, placed a lot of trust and Joe placed trust in me. Now I'm asking for you, that same trust, is that who out there needs your help? Who out there in your circle trusts you? Who can you help introduce them to? to help them with their lives, to make things better for them, less hard. We live in a world right now where there is a global pandemic, a pandemic that will not go away in five minutes. It might take five years, it might take 50 years before people go back to normal. But what will normal be? Things are changing for everybody. In the entire world, no one will ever be the same. Some will be richer, some will be poor. Some will be mentally stronger. Some will have given up along their journey and thrown in the towel you are not one of those. You are somebody who is stronger than that. You will not break. You will not bow to tyrants. You will stand up to the bullies. You will lift up the downtrodden. And you will never give up. Because this is life's tough. Life's tough. You can be tougher. Thanks for joining us, everybody.